Welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Lee. Our guest today, Seabass of WNWS of Jackson, Tennessee. This episode presented by Wellspire, Nashville's Learning and Development Center. Wellspire offers personal and professional development opportunities in a beautiful facility in the Gulch neighborhood. Stop by for an event with world-renowned speakers or host an off-site event that will wow your team or your clients. We thank our co-presenting sponsor, the Well Coffee House, which turns coffee into water and has a mission to bring clean water to the world. Today's news is presented by Sutherland and Belk, an SEC sports-loving injury firm in Nashville. These guys will shoot you straight on your rights and options when you've been injured in an accident. Call them at 615-846-6200 to get your questions answered. You can also visit them online at sbinjurylaw.com. Well, no real news at the moment, just awaiting to see how things in college basketball shape out. Seabass and I will have an interesting discussion on the podcast today about the NBA G League with some developments with some potential star players leaving high school to go there that could have a fallout for Vanderbilt down the road. So that will be one thing that we discuss in today's show. Seabass appears on our guest line, which is presented to you by Bowl and Branch, started by Vanderbilt graduates Scott and Missy Tannen. Had no clue what I was missing until I got Bowl and Branch sheets. They are fair trade certified, meaning they are made under safe conditions by men and women, treated and paid fairly. Try them free for a month. You can return them, but you won't want to. Once you get the sheets, try the mattress. That was voted the best mattress of 2018. Go to bowlandbranch.com. That is spelled B O L L. Enter the promo code Vandy and get $50 off your first set of sheets. Our question and answer session with Seabass is sponsored by Vanderbilt Fan and independent insurance agent Josh Minton of Brentwood. If you need home, auto, motorcycle, renters, landlord, life, or commercial insurance, Josh is the guy to contact. Call him at 615-933-1979. Email him at josh at hqinsurance.com. Follow him on Facebook at JD Minton HQ. He is my insurance agent. Give him a try. I think you'll love what you get from Josh. Seabass is with us from WNWS in Jackson, Tennessee. Thanks for joining us. How are you today, my man? Oh, afternoon, fat man. I'm doing great. How are you, brother? You're like, I'm glad you finally got around to ask me how I'm doing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Hello, Kettle. Uh, oh, yeah. man. Well, uh, let's get into it. I think first thing to talk about today is the C.J. Bowler impending transfer I talked with this about Mitch on Monday my take was I didn't think it was as damaging as maybe it would appear I I don't know I think that now I think about it a little bit more they don't have a lot of proven receivers they have some guys that I think have potential but you never know you know my thoughts on Amir Abdul-Rahman I love Cam Johnson I think Cam Johnson if you told me at the end of the year he was their best player when 2020 is said and done. It wouldn't shock me. But C.J. Bowler is also the most proven commodity commodity so far in that receiving group. Um, at a minimum, it hurts their depth. Uh, could be worse than that. What's your take? Well, first of all, I didn't see this one coming. Uh, I don't know if, if you had an inkling this was on the horizon, but I did not. I did not know this was coming. And, and, and yeah, I mean, look, he, look, he's long, and he's a guy who's proven that he can catch the ball down the field. And, you know, uh, look, I have more concerns at other positions than, than, than wide receiver. 
Uh, but from a depth standpoint, yeah, I mean, there's 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 no way around it. It it, hurt, it hurts a little bit. I like CJ. Of course, I liked him better two years ago. I think his season two years ago uh, showed a little bit more promise than what we saw last season. But yeah, I mean, if for, if for no other reason than from a depth standpoint, I mean, this this team, it's it, it, somebody's going to have to step up. Now, here's what I will say. I like some of the young players, the potential of some of the young players. They haven't really done it yet, but, you know, I, I think about, you know, I know there's been a chit, little chit-chat about Devin Body, uh, maybe being able to to do a little bit of something. You know I'm a big fan of Logan Kyle coming in. but uh, And, of course, Amir Abdul-Rahman, you know, if he's healthy and ready to go, I, I think he has a chance to be really good. Uh, so I, I like the the, uh, the possibility and the potential of some of these guys, but uh, we don't – we we don't have enough playmakers or enough proven pass catchers to be able to absorb something, at least on the surface of a guy like CJ Bowler. Well, I'm thinking this through. I'm always trying to lobby to get my man Javian Marlowe on the field just because I want to see what he can do. And we've seen him play in the slot, so maybe that opens up some time for him to get on the field somewhere. I mean, he lined up at running back. I think when I saw him in spring practice, but we've seen him in the slot too. So if they're going to move the parts around a little bit, I wonder if that frees him some time. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's certainly a possibility. And then, then I think about a you know a guy like because you if, if look, I mean, I just haven't seen the ball in his hands enough. You've seen him in practice, you know, in the game. I I have to just take your word for it because we just really haven't seen it. Uh, it's not that I don't believe it's true. It's just that we haven't had enough opportunity to see it. Uh, another guy that at least came in was pretty explosive on 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 the, on the prep level, and hopefully. Uh, he can do something, and that's uh, Jalen Harrison, young man out of Pearl Cone, you know. And, and then, of course, let's not forget there's a young man who who seems like he has been in that receiving core for 300 years, and I think this, if I remember right, I guess this is Chris Pierce's final go-around, right, Chris? He's going to be a senior this coming season, right? I thought you were going to say Jackson Winrow um, <laughs> because he he's on that list of people that seem like they've been there forever, too. But yeah, well, Pierce will be in that bunch. I just don't think Pierce is any more than what we've seen. Not a bad player, but he's not a game breaker. No, he could be one of those guys that last year on campus has a really dependable catches 40 balls kind of senior year. I mean, a lot of guys save their best for last, but I don't think he is a a game changer for them either. No, look, right now, the only game ch- potential game changer uh, that we know of. I wouldn't you have to still be Cam Johnson with all apologies to Abdul. Well, okay. I think Amir is their most talented receiver. I think Amir, I think to me, from what I've seen, Amir and Marlowe and Cam are their three most talented offensive players. Well, I don't know what to do with Seals yet, but um, he's, he's a good player too. But I think... I think the ceiling for Amir Abdul-Rahman is higher than anybody on that roster. I think Marlowe's ceiling is pretty high. He's not a big back. And so with the kid like that, you just never know how much he's going to get used or if he can get hurt. And to the hurt thing, he's already, I guess, got a strike against him. I'm trying to think, and sorry for moving around on you here, and remind me to get back to Jaden Harrison 
but with Marlowe, I'm trying to think who he would remind me of. And I'd want to say like a Warren Norman type, maybe, with maybe a little bit more wiggle. I mean, I, I can't say that for sure because we saw Norman run kickoffs back 100 yards. And Marlowe, I've not seen him make those kind of plays. Not that he's really had the chance. But he's got that elusive quality to him and that quick twitch that they just don't get much of. Now, having said that, one reason I bring Norman's name up is you remember Norman from his freshman year. But we never saw him like that again because he had knee issues. And so, I mean, maybe maybe the same thing gets Marlowe. I don't know where he is in recovery from that injury because I didn't see enough of him with the ball in his hands. And so I will hedge my bets because I just don't know. But to me, he had that game-breaking ability from what I saw in practice two years ago, and I just cannot get that out of my head. Now, back to Jaden Harrison. Before you go to Jaden, could you see a – look, I, I I still have to see Fitz's offense, obviously, but uh, implemented with this particular personnel. But is there a possibility for maybe uh, a, a Darius Sims type of role for, for, uh, for Javion? Well, I'm thinking of guys like Sims – and this this would be a very high-end comparison, so I don't want to say, or I don't want people to leave this podcast saying, oh, he just compared him to this guy. But in terms of style of play and how he moved and the challenges of bringing him down, there was like a little bit of Dexter McCluster in there. And McCluster's a good comp in that way because he's not a big guy, but he could play in the slot and do lots of things. I'm just, again, I'm not saying he's that good because he's got a lot to prove before he's that but I felt like he's in the mold of that type of player, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, it just depends. Uh, I, I get that, and I don't think anybody's taking away that you're saying he's, he's Derrick Sims uh, by saying that. But it would be, you know, I'd love to see that dude out in space. There, 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 there's no question about that. And, you know, may, maybe, maybe, you know, we'll see what happens. Maybe J.R. Tran Reno fits that type of bill, too. Yeah, he's that type of player. I did not see much out of him in the spring. And speaking of comps, if you're trying to get the idea of what this guy looks like in terms of style, I see some Chris Boyd in Rahman because, or I guess it's Amir Abdurrahman. I guess that's his last name, Abdurrahman. I'm rambling here. But my point is, if you're thinking of style of play and who does he kind of remind you of, you know, Boyd could go up and get the ball and make plays downfield. That is what I've seen from him at the best of his game. Is like I think there's a ceiling in there that that's kind of player. Now, he's also very raw, and a lot of guys like that, and you throw in an injury, they never get there. But if it all worked out, I could see him being that type of player based on what I've seen him do in multiple practices. Again, didn't see much of him in the spring. Don't know where he is in terms of injury recovery. But if you want to get an idea of what that looks like, if it works out, that's the comp that I think is most fitting. Well, it seems fair to me. I, I, I can certainly live with that one. So, you know, it's going to be interesting to see what happens. Uh, I, I, I really hate to, to lose CJ. You know, I, I'd love to see what he might have potentially become, especially because I really like the quarterbacks that we've got, you know, going forward. You know, nobody's done it yet, so they got to do it still. But I like the material, and I'd like to see uh, what they could work with. And then, you know, there's, an, there's, there's another cat 
in this class that, you know, I always talk about Logan Kyle, uh, but you know what? I'll, I'll be interested to see what happens uh, with, with this Will Shepard cat, the, you know, the kid that was late to sign out of, out of, out of Louisiana. Right. Because he's a he's a big bodied kid like Chris Boyd. And boy, you talk about going up and getting the bat. I say the basketball. I'm thinking about his basketball highlights and and how how explosive the dude is. You know, I, I'll be real interested because he put up major numbers down there in Louisiana. Um, I'll be interested to see if, if maybe they got one of themselves a little steals, you know, out of the Pelican State and Will Shepard. Yeah, I will wait on that one, too. I told you I meant to circle could, back to Jaden Harrison. Well, before, before you get to Jaden, would you say that from a a physical standpoint that maybe Will Shepard most emulates C.J. Bowler coming out of high school? Maybe. I've just kind of learned my lesson on sizing up receivers before they get here. Um, I remember I first learned that with Brady Brown. Remember that name? From Argyle, Texas, of course. Right. I well, I mean, I guess, like, I think we pretty much knew Earl Bennett would be a stud when he got to campus, and he was. So there's some, and I felt that way about Cam Johnson, and still do. <clears throat> and I guess part of that's just kind of knowing Cam a little bit and his personality. I just think he's a a solid kid, and he's not the self destruct type. But I mean, who knows? We'll see. I mean, and you know, the other thing about it is the other thing about it is, and and you you correct me if I'm wrong here, uh, but when we're when it comes to receiver like you're talking about, you know, I think it's one of those positions where you kind of know what you've got pretty soon. Maybe it's a redshirt year or whatever. But like, here's what I mean by that. Like you mentioned with Earl, we knew right away. Earl was a good wide receiver. Same thing with Dan Stricker. How long did it take you to know that Dan Stricker was going to be very good? You know, you know, Chris Boyd, uh, certainly, uh, good grief. I just went blank. Jordan, uh, good grief. Help Jordan me, Matthews. Jordan Matthews, yeah. I mean, even though he didn't get the reps, he should have. When he did get in, he made the most of it. All those guys, we pretty well knew uh, pretty early on that they were going to be very good. I guess the question is, have we had receivers who have truly developed into stud receivers uh, through a, a, a slower progression that maybe they weren't any good and then they started to slowly get better, and by the time they were juniors or seniors, they were much more reliable. I can't think of a whole lot of those. Uh, I'm going to go back 20 years or so. Tavares Hogan's? Well, yes. Yeah, if we're going to go 20, then yes. That's, that's but fair, that proves yeah. your point. That's not the way it usually happens. Um, right. Although it does, it does in the NFL, point. but not as much in college. Right. Uh, yeah, that, that's what I mean. So uh, I think that's fair. I think your your hesitation uh, on there is, is to, to you wait and see when they get there is, is certainly fair. Uh, but I, it's one of those deals. If they if they haven't flashed at least a little something by by their second camp, then I'm a little concerned. Yeah, I'm with you on that one. Uh, Harrison, and then I'll move to the next topic. I was disappointed. I just didn't see much out of him in spring. And I thought he was a really good-looking kid physically, uh, really had some athleticism to him, but I I don't know what the deal was. I didn't see a ton of practices, but he did not flash much of anything at all. And, again, a few practices, who knows, but that was one guy in the spring that I wanted to see more of that I just didn't. 
That's fair. I mean, so, you know, I don't know what we have in Harrison yet. We'll see. I like them coming out of, out of Pearl Cone, but, but we'll see. Let's talk, unless you have somewhere else you want to go, about this hoops thing. And what I'm talking about, if people have not seen this, this came out late on Tuesday night. The G League may be about to pluck away a couple of top recruits. Um, What's the kid's name at Kentucky? Clark? Jalen Clark, is that it? Uh, and the other kid yeah, that's the number yeah. two, is it Jalen Brown? I can't think of his name. I should have written this down. It's uh, the number it two prospect for rivals. But, yes, the point was, and David Sisk said this in a tweet. I thought this was a good way to put it. And I think I may try to get a podcast with David because he can probably speak to this more than you and I can. But he said on a tweet, this G League thing kind of snuck up on me. And what he meant was – the league had set rules, or the NBA had a couple of years ago, that they would start signing kids out of high school. I guess it was starting with this fall. And the most they would pay them was $125,000. Now, Adam Zagoria is the guy that had the story on this. And I kept looking for him to connect the dots, and I never did see it. And so what I'm going to do to connect those dots is presume something and maybe you can correct me if my presumption is wrong, but the presumption was that these kids might get paid a quarter of a million, maybe even a half million dollars next year. Uh-huh. Uh, the half million might have been a reach, but I did see the quarter of a million. I would presume that money would come from the shoe companies because if you've got a max salary of 125 either they had raised it and he forgot to mention it, or obviously that money is coming from some other source But the interesting thing to me about that is if you start throwing out that kind of money, and especially if the shoe companies are involved, because the shoe companies were the ones that were paying them to begin with um, or getting that done, now the shoe companies don't need – Adidas doesn't need to get kids to Adidas schools. Adidas needs just to get a kid in a contract, and the schools become sort of irrelevant at some point because the goal is to get them in a long dormant endorsement deal. I'm very interested to see how this whole thing plays out and how the shoe companies play a factor in this, and very interested to see what this does for the black market for players because I'm thinking that if you're a guy that's on the take or you're the the runner or whatever, not the runner, the um, the handler for a guy on the take. I, I think that, A, schools are going to have a hard time competing with that dollar-wise, not to mention the risk of getting busted, although you might say there's not much risk at all now that they have Will Wade on wiretap and nothing's happened. But the point is, this whole thing of getting cash to kids it's going to be a whole lot easier to do with the pro structure in place uh, than for schools to have to run the risk of doing it themselves through whatever means. And I just think that if you get in a bidding war, uh, that pro side is probably going to win out, which is going to take the top off of the best of the recruiting classes every year. And if it plays out that way, I think that dynamic gets very interesting because then if everything is commodity, then education 
is a commodity because it's part of what you would get if you don't just take the dollars and go pro. In other words, if the educational component becomes more valuable in the decision-making process, like it does for Vanderbilt and baseball, okay, I would think a school like Vandy has a lot to gain because you've got a kid that wants to go for, to college. Either he's, A, not as good or not good enough to get the kind of money he would get to go to the G League, or B, the education does matter. And once you start putting that under a microscope, their education is better than most. So I'm sorry, that is a very long-winded introduction to what I want to get into, but what are your thoughts on all this? What was the topic again? <laughs> yeah, that may be my longest filibuster ever on a podcast with you. Yeah, okay, so the, the, the only thing I'm really locked in on right now is is how this affects Vanderbilt. So let's we, we can do the other thing in a minute, but let's look at this for a second and see how this affects Vanderbilt. Well, let me ask you this, Chris. When a prospect could go straight to the NBA instead of, of going to high, uh, instead of going to college for a year, did it have any effect on Vanderbilt? Uh, well, where it has an effect is it takes like, no, right now it does not. Right. Because they're not in on those right. kind of kids, but there's two parts to where I'm going. Right. What it does is yeah, it brings the Kentuckys and the Auburns and the LSUs back down a couple of notches. And again, if a kid is going to college, now you are comparing a Vanderbilt education against one from other schools, which I think helps them. This is all theory, and this may not be kids' way of processing it at all, but I think it's something interesting to throw out there. That's how I would answer your question, is it doesn't affect them directly, but it does indirectly. Because now you're not playing against McDonald's All-Americans. Those kids are in the pros. But let me throw this at you. This occurred to me just now while we are talking through it. What happens if this rule is in place two, three years ago when Bryce Drew was here? Because then they're not getting Garland. They're not getting Chateau. Does that whole thing play out differently in a way that it doesn't self-destruct well, on him the way that it did? You say they're not getting them, but... Look, they, look hey, hey, hold on, hold on. I, I think... I, I don't mean to be rude, but l- l- let's be clear, okay? Darius Garland, the second he knew how far he had risen in the eyes of NBA folks with those four games he played, he bagged it. He was done. So that tells me, well, I I guess it does it because Garland at the time was probably more of a top 15 or 20. It might not. But I think if Darius Garland could have gotten the money, he might have gone. I don't know. Because you got to be, I don't know how you can say that because to say that means that when they could go out of high school, that all the top 15 players went to the NBA. And that wasn't true at all. And that was for a heck of a lot more than $125,000, by the way. Yeah, well, maybe maybe Chateau would have gone, um, and that would have saved them their biggest headache. Right. Agreed. I just – look, it's an option for them. 
but it doesn't guarantee guarantee a thing in the world. And we talk about it bringing the blue bloods down. Let me say this to you. Let me let me let me read something out real quick. This was this year's uh, released a month ago. Let's see. I don't know what the date is. A month ago, Saturday. Uh, this was the AP top twenty-five, and this is without that in place. Dayton. These are teams in the top twenty-five. Dayton, San Diego State, Creighton, Seton Hall. You know BYU, Houston. And I'm looking at these teams, and even the ones – I'm not looking at the – there's a couple of the elites in here, but I look at these teams. Florida State was the number four team in the country. Gonzaga's number two. I mean, look, I get it that the Blue Bloods swim in a different pool. I understand all of that, but we had this in place, and they still weren't at the top of the heap. Okay, I have two counterpoints for you. Well, maybe three. Well, first of all, Vanderbilt is in the worst spot it's been in in a while. Uh, just for all the reasons you and I have hashed and rehashed time and time again. So that's point number one. Number two, that is very much an aberration. I bet you couldn't go back the last 25 years and find another top 25 that looked anything like that. Of course, Kansas was in there too. What did the final four look like Yeah, but tournament basketball is a crapshoot, okay? Um, I'm just talking about body of work. Um, and what, you're, you're free to rebut me on any of these and you may have a good rebuttal. You had one on Garland, but I'm just thinking this through the other common denominator on that was this was the weakest class of freshmen since when, I mean, it wasn't exactly, uh, Zion Williamson and, and those kids like it was a year ago and some other years. I, I don't dispute that, but I mean, that's, that's, that, that's year to year. You know, Chris. I mean, that the, the, that could be completely different one calendar year later. It'd be absolutely loaded. So, I, I mean, I, I can't go by that because it, that that's that's always in flux. It's you know, it's you know, I agree with you on this particular year, but what about Zion's year? You know, I mean, that it's it just depends on what year you catch it. If, I, if it was five years in a row and there wasn't a whole lot of that, okay, all right, I'm starting to see a trend there. But that you know, I I, I can't ride with that. Well, where you have a point is if you look at the last 10, 12 years of the NCAA tournament with the, uh, well, George Mason could be outside that, but it's close. Them and VCU and... State. Yeah, I mean, you do have a point there, but it, it still is, there's a little bit of it that's sort of exception to the rule, if you know what I mean. I mean, that the, the, top, the top teams that you just listed off, okay, that, that like, in other words... You might have a George Mason or VCU sneak in, but like what you name with the top 25, I don't ever remember a year where there were that many mid-majors and out-of-the-blue teams like that list you just named, if that makes sense. So I I think it's it's still an aberration. That didn't mean that you don't have a point, but I still look at that as more the exception than the rule. I think both of our points could be – I think what we both just said, both points could be uh... – countered with that same exact argument that it's more of an aberration than anything else. Uh, and as much as you were talking about the prep talent, uh, you're right that this top 25 is not normal. I mean, I'm looking at it in the top seven teams in America. I'm looking at Dayton, San Diego state and great. I mean, that's that. And, and you know, uh, first of all, let me say this. I'm quite okay with that. Oh, I, I love it. I think it's great. Now I would I would like to see a Carolina. I mean I think it's always fun when you have a blue blood in there somewhere too, 
heck, maybe maybe if it was ever that way where they weren't at all, maybe it would be more fun that way. But I mean, that's part of the allure of college basketball is superstar players and and monster teams and things like that. And going back and thinking, you know, the teams you remember are the the Fab Fives and you know some some of those great teams from the past where basketball is different, but. I do like the foundation you're laying because you make a good point and it plays on what I'm trying to say is that, okay, you already have that those trends that we've talked about of where some of those teams, and Gonzaga would be your, your best point, of teams that are starting to crash the party, right? So yeah. you already have some evidence of that happening, whether we say it's an outlier or whether it's maybe the start of a new norm. Uh, let's put that aside for now, but let's just accept that we just saw it, okay? Um. If you throw in the fact that a lot of these kids that were on the take, the James Wisemans of the world and those kind of people, if you accept the fact that those guys aren't coming to college, if this plays out that way, and the G League starts making a successful bid, and and you know how this happens too, okay? Once you get a flood of four or five kids going, that is probably going to be the trend. So you throw that in there. You throw in the stuff with the FBI, which in a way doesn't look like it's been a deterrent, uh, but you still do have a you know a couple of guys in prison, and I think that that might give people pause every now and then. So there's that. There's the fact that the middlemen who made this happen now don't have to use the colleges to do it. Um, and, and then there's just the whole virus thing in the middle of this, okay, where I think schools are going to have to if you really want to go way out there a little bit, I wonder how schools are going to be affected because you already had this issue of kids getting out of college with six figures of debt and having these degrees that aren't, uh, aren't that marketable or if they might be marketable, but the money they make with them, doesn't help them pay off that debt. I mean, they, they get saddled with college loans that they're making twenty five, thirty thousand dollars, whatever the number you want to throw out there. And at that rate, it takes forever to pay that off. So I think schools are going to have to get more creative because of this. Is is I think you see schools maybe dropping programs. I mean, this thing could get bad where schools drop out of education business entirely. I think consumers are going to be pickier with their money. And parents are going to be more reticent to send their kids to school for enormous debt loads for degrees with questionable value. I think schools are going to have to potentially prove that their product is worth the money. And if you can really do that, and again, if if education is, is something that if you're going to go to school, that commodity is now under a microscope. Again, I think you look at baseball. This is what Vanderbilt deals with. The kids that come to school and don't take the six, seven-figure contracts right of the way, uh, they either think that Vanderbilt is going to improve their stock three years or two years from now if you're a draft-eligible sophomore, or they value the educational component or some part of those two. Point is, it plays to Vandy's advantage. I think that you see a lot of dynamics lining up that if they play their cards right um, – they, the way I look at it, would stand to benefit from it as much as anybody. So, well, well let me ask you this. It's a matter of they have an 
we're all come back to back to the pack. You know, I'm not putting this. Well, let's just say this was in place right now. How much roster? How much difference does the Vanderbilt roster look right now than it than it would if it if it were already in place? Well, I don't think Vanderbilt right now is a good argument because it's in such a weird spot from where Bryce Drew left it to Jerry Stackhouse coming in, not exactly knowing what he was doing. I'm just saying if you take where Vanderbilt falls traditionally, which is that they've been reasonably good in basketball, never great for long, but competitive. You know, Vanderbilt is a respected basketball program in both circles. It certainly has been at its own conference. I'm saying I I don't really – I don't know that the current circumstances – or a good litmus test for what you throw out there, if that makes sense. Because it's it, kind it, of an – they've never does. been this bad for this long. And I, no way in the world am I going to disagree with that. So knowing that, I mean, I, what are we talking about? Uh, if Let's say it's restabilized. We can have this conversation again and check the effects on it in, let's say, two to three years when it's – completely firm and restabilized again, hopefully, by the way, um, uh, would be more apt to have a a decent analysis of this effect on Vanderbilt that right now it's maybe it's an incomplete, if you will, you don't have enough information. There's not enough variables. Is that what we're saying here for that? We can't really, uh, it can't be really applicable to Vanderbilt because of the situation that they're already in. Is that what you're saying? Well, I, again, I'm stamping outside of the current situation and just saying if you drop this at any other time where they're reasonably competitive, let me hit it this from another way, okay? Okay. Um, okay. Is let, Let's look at differences. Let's take a typical freshman class in college basketball. Um. Is there a bigger drop off from player ten to twenty five, or from player twenty five to fifty most of the time? Say say it for me one more time. We're looking at the typical basketball recruiting class across the board for college hoops every year. In other words, the rivals rankings for fill in the blank with whatever year. In a typical year. Is there a bigger drop-off from the number 10 player in the class to the number 25 player in the class or the number 25 player in the class to the number 50 player in the class? You know, I've, I've never really never really looked at it like that. Um, I'm going to logically say 25 to 50. I would agree with you, and this is what I'm getting at, Okay. I think you're going to have 10 or 12 players or so most years that are the elite kids uh, that if this plays out like I think it could, I think the pros are going to make the more compelling argument where those players don't end up at Duke or Kansas or Kentucky or Carolina, right? Reasonable, plausible scenario? Okay, who's who's still going to get the top kids, right? What what schools are going to get the top kids that are left over? I would, I would still think the the same ones that get them now. I think. No, I think you're right. Here's my point. Okay. If the best player they're getting now is 11, 12, 13, 14, Vandy still isn't going to get those kids. 
But the difference in 15 and 50 a lot of times uh, over a period of years doesn't pan out to be that much. You know, the, the kids at the top are the, usually the ones that hit. And that's why the shoe companies have always got involved. Because they view it, it's not like football, where you know you see a lot of top 25, top 50 kids never make it. I think those companies watch those kids and watch them in the summer league and have a pretty good idea that, hey, we're going to miss on some of these kids, but if we throw enough money at enough of them, we're going to recoup our investment more times over. In other words, we're not going to hit on every one of those kids, but the hit rate for those kids, for the most part, we're going to come out well ahead. That's why shoe companies were willing to do what they did with the black market and get involved in cheating because they knew if we sign this kid now, we're going to recruit, recoup our investment many times over on the ones that hit uh, to where it makes up for the ones that miss. So what I'm saying is once the market takes the top off that, it takes the best 10 or 12 players or whatever number it looks like, I think the Dukes, the Kentuckys, the Kansases are still going to get the best of what is left. But I think the difference between what those schools are getting then and the rest of the field is going to narrow. And I think that's where it affects things. Let me ask you this, then. This is the last thing I want to ask you about this. I'm going to think about two players right now that both signed with major blue blood program that were both really good, no doubt about it. Both weren't top 15 players, I don't think. One one was not not too far, I don't think, if I remember correctly. But uh, neither one was one of those top 10, 15 caliber players that you were talking about. And I guess the question that I would have for you is, after I give you their names, is would they still have signed with this particular school or one like it if this was in place? I'm going to ask you two players, uh, both that had ties to Vanderbilt recruiting-wise, and they had a shot at getting both of them. Uh, Alex Poitras and EJ Montgomery. If things were like it could end up being, do you think both of those guys still end up going with a place like Kentucky? Yeah, I do. But again, let's look at the difference, okay? EJ Montgomery, and this is this is where the two players that you just selected completely illustrate my point, okay? Montgomery and Poitras were at the lower end of that McDonald's All-American group. Poitras, I don't think, did he ever play a game in the league? I think so, yeah. But, I mean, he stayed there a while. In other words, he wasn't the, he wasn't the Anthony Davis, and that's, that's the cream of the crop, okay? But he wasn't one of these dozen, two dozen players, whatever they've had now under John Calipari that have gone one and done, uh, he wasn't that class of player. But the point is, um, and, and Montgomery was never, you know, he was like a, a coming off the bench guy. Like Montgomery is going to be, to me, kind of a roster filler in the NBA. Good, solid player, but not an elite talent. Um, I don't think Kentucky dominates people with the Poitrases and the and the Montgomerys of the world. I just don't. Uh, at least not on the Calipari. That's not how it's played out. Now, Tubby Smith was able to do that with some of his better teams, but I think you picked a great example. I think those guys both go to Kentucky, but they're not surrounded with the Davises or the or the John Walls or the Cousinses and those kind of kids. They're the best players on the team, in other words, basically. They, they are, but there's 
there's miles of difference between uh, the first group and the second. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there's no doubt. By the way, just so you know, Alex Porthris, uh, let's see, played with the Sixers, Pacers, and the Hawks for a cup of coffee at best and is now playing basketball in Turkey. So in baseball, he's quite a player. You know what? You've heard that before, haven't you? I have. Yeah. And for the audience, if, if they've never heard that, that's a guy that's too good to be at AAA but not good enough to stick in the bigs. And that's that's the point I was making is, I mean, yeah, he's had a career, but it's not been much of one. He's bounced around. Do that. All right, what else? Oh, by, by the way, I got to say, I can't believe I let it go this far uh, in the podcast and haven't even mentioned that. I'm sure you already talked about it on another one, but you haven't with me. Uh, good to see we're going to get Cleveland back, dude. Oh, yeah, that's happened since we podcast. Yeah, that's a nice that's a nice get for them next year. Oh, I don't think there's anything. I don't think there's any question about it. Uh, boy, I sure would like to have Saban back on this roster. Let me ask you a question. All right, so just, just pretend and we live in a world in which Saban Lee was coming back, you know, and then with, with DJ Harvey and Scottie Pippen and now Cleavon coming back and, and some of the other pieces and Dylan – if that were the case, if the roster looked just like that, what, how, what would be the ceiling of, of that team next year? Did you say Neesmith? No, no. I, okay. I mean, he, that, that, there is no scenario like that. I mean, that's a that's a absolute top end of the first round pick. Yeah, I, no, I'm not counting that. So we got Saban Lee. We've got Pippen. We've got Cleavon Brown. We got DeSue. Um, Max Evans. Yeah. Um, Evans and Wright are kind of your maybe sixth, seventh guys. I feel like I'm forgetting someone. Okay. You got Brown starts in the post, right? Yeah. DeSue, I guess DeSue starts at the three. Or the, no, Harvey starts at the three. DeSue at the four. Pippen at the one. Lee at the two. Okay. Let me think this through. You got a pretty good point guard. Um, hang on two seconds. Sorry, we have an order of um, delivery coming, and my daughter's keeping me updated. Okay, so you have you have a point that you're pretty confident with. You have what Saban Lee was at the end of the year. Um, Hart, see, we got locked out of practice. And so I didn't get to see Harvey with my own eyes. I know he wasn't a super efficient shooter at Notre Dame, uh, but he I think he probably can defend a bit. He was a ceiling, you know, a decent high ceiling guy out of high school, a top fifty recruit. I have a feeling he's he's gonna get better in that off year to red shirt. So I think you're 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 certainly in good shape at the backcourt if if Harvey's decent, which I think he would be. DeSue flashed some things, figures to get better. Um, Frank, I was a little disappointed in him. I, I thought they would get more out of him than they did. He flashed it, but he didn't do it night in and night out. He did it about every third night. And you don't need a superstar post. I mean, I think if you've got a decent supporting cast, 
you can get by with the Brown in the post. But that, and that's presuming he comes back 100%. Right, yes. Yeah, I mean. So, so okay, starting five we're okay with, right? Right. There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm okay with it. Okay, you've got Evans and Wright coming off the bench. Oh, yeah, Quentin Malore Brown. And and Obena. And Obena. I mean, if those are your first four off the bench, that's nine. I mean, you could do worse than those nine. Yeah, you could. Here's my hesitation, okay? I'm still not convinced there's a a really good distance shooter in that bunch. Well, to me, to I me, mean, that is probably an NIT team that if things break right uh, and it wins its share of more close games, I think it might could sneak into the field. Well, I'll say this to you. Compared to what we've dealt with for the past about thousand days, uh, I'd take that and run with it all day long to see constant competitive basketball. You know, that would be a monumental step forward, Chris. Well, yeah, from it would. Three, um, wins, three conference wins in two years to make an NIT. Yeah, I mean, I, I'd be fine with that. I mean, is that where you sit? I'm not convinced that's an NCAA team. I think a lot of the fan base is. I don't think the bench is. Um, I, I think, again, I, I think the missing piece is a shooter. Um, and I think the bench is. You can get those parts in there, but I'd like a better maybe sixth or seventh man. Maybe I'm being too hard. Evans, um, Evans flashed things oh, for them at also, times. By the way, by the way, you also, of course, again, I don't. I, I say you forgot him. That may not be the case. I I don't know the situation in regards to eligibility or if he's there or not. But we didn't think about Isaac McBride unless he's not eligible. Well, he'd be eligible. I think possibly in the second half of that season. So. I mean, we got to throw him in there too, potentially. Yeah, I, I mean, for, that's a that's a wild card in two or three ways for reasons I've gone over. But okay, let's let's take what we know, okay, and take Lee out of it, which drastically changes, I think, the expectation. Um, I don't think that's an NIT team. I think it's a a team that could. If some things fell right, you know, fight for 500 and then conference play, which I think that's going to be, I think that's going to be tough. The league is expected to be better. Although we say that every year. Well, here's the thing. Okay. We just don't know what Malore Brown is at this level. And we're not sure what Harvey is. Of course, we also left out Tyron Lawrence and, and, Miles Studi. So there's there's that too. I don't know that Studi, I don't think Studi's gonna help them right away. I just don't see it. Um I wouldn't be I think I think I think I think Lawrence might. I think Lawrence might. So that that maybe that's where they get a shooting boost a little bit. You, you I, know? What's that? I said and I'm not you know, uh, maybe it's wishful thinking, who knows, but I wouldn't be upset if you were able to to throw Dylan Cardwell on that list. Yeah, I mean, there's there's still a lot of unknowns. I think th- th- this seems to me like a 
if it all goes really well, they might sneak into the NIT. I just don't think – I think the league will be better. I know we say that every year, but I think it's bound to be one year. I just don't think against the landscape of which they'll compete, it stacks up very well with the rest of the league. But, you know, as, as you and people have said, he got a lot out of that team a lot of nights. So I think that counts for something. I mean, there were times, Chris, Chris, there were times, and with all the love in the world to him, but there were times when he had multiple walk-ons on the floor the same time in the middle of a conference game. Well, look, I still remember sitting there at that Texas A&M game for the home opener thinking, God help me, I have got to cover this the rest of the year, and there's no way they're going to beat anybody. No. So, and at the end of the season, they they showed you some fight, didn't they, Chris? Yeah. Now, let me play devil's advocate a minute. This is something that somebody brought to me up in private conversation, and I think this is a point that not anybody's talked about, but – and and maybe after the LSU game that got people's attention, but you know how motivated were people to play them? You know, at one point they lose twenty eight in a row or whatever. I, LSU didn't come in with its A game that night. That that's for sure. But, I mean, again, don't don't take any away from them from winning the game. But I think there is a little bit of a thing where what they showed at the end of the year, people might take them a little bit more seriously this year. They're better. Uh, yeah, you know, I, I think they certainly better. Um, I'm trying to remember. I'm going to have to look it up right now because I can't remember. What was uh, South Carolina when they lost to Vanderbilt right there uh, at the end? What, what was, was there anything on the line for them, were they? Yeah, I mean, now, look, they were on the the – the, the last game of the season, so if they, they were 18 and 12 in the last game of the season. So if they weren't interested and didn't care about this or that, that's their fault. Same thing for Alabama. No, the win no. against Alabama, you know. Look, those, those were quality wins, right? Those were NIT-type teams. That's quality win. That's a really good win for where they are right now. Um, those were nice skins to have considering the place where Vanderbilt came from. South Carolina came in – not that winning that game was going to put them in the tournament, but it was at least going to put them maybe in discussion if they win two or three in the SEC tournament. But they had to have that one, I think, to be in that discussion. Uh, at that point, they probably had to win the SEC tournament or at least get to the title game. In other words, beating Vandy wasn't going to put them in the NCAs, but it was necessary if they were going to get there in all likelihood. So, well, and Alabama, yeah, Alabama was, was under the same thing, too. I mean, that was a game that Alabama had to have. So, both those teams were playing for something, which is a, a good point. Yeah, and that was the only point that I had behind it, is that if, if they were at that frame of mind at that point in the season – well, then it's – and we like both of those coaches, uh, or at least I do. Uh, I, I, the, I, I can't imagine that that would have been their mindset. And so they were still able to do that. They go on the road to Tuscaloosa and win. And then that went over South Carolina, you know, and I thought to myself, well, you know, I, I've liked the way they finished, but uh, I think it's a little bit too expected to win this game. And they did. They looked South Carolina right in the mouth and punched them. I mean, so, you know – if. If 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 that's a shortcoming on the other team and they weren't mentally or if they're emotionally ready to play, that's their fault. I mean, you can't take anything away from Vanderbilt uh, because it did what it needed to do, right? And it played really well 
in the Alabama and the South Carolina game. Played really well in the LSU game. In fact, played really well in the Georgia game. Um, it just got beat by a, a heave at the buzzer. Although Georgia wasn't that great and wasn't very good on the road. But I thought Vanderbilt played well that day. Look, you saw you saw a lot of signs of life in February that I did not think were possible just based on the personnel they had. Right. And I'm just kind of hopeful that that kind of carries over. I know that's going to be a lot more difficult I get with, with without Saban Lee, but we do have the additions of Tyron Lawrence and DJ Harvey and Brown and some of these guys. So maybe that, I'm not going to say it cancels it out, but maybe it offsets a little bit. Well, I think they can, I think they can be respectable. I think that the fan base overrates the talent that's coming back next year but i don't think they have to be terrible either so right i think the question here's the here's the here's the question chris i I think that people might have to ask uh next season is okay if we gotta have it if we you know if we let's we're getting to a scoring match man run if we need somebody to step up and and uncork a 30 point night i mean i think that we would all probably logically think that that is scotty pippen uh, if it's one of those had to habits, but you know, and we saw Max do it once, but I mean, that's not enough to, you know, I guess the question is, is there, who could you count on? Who would you hand the basketball to and say, go get it the way Saban did? Well, Pippen, as you said, I think can have some big scoring nights for them. I mean, I think his freshman season was, if you said, you know, what are your expectations on a scale of 1 to 10? I don't even know that I would have put 10. Well, I might have, but, I mean, he he was at least a 9 or a 10, okay? Um, I think the guy that that I see the talent in at times, and I think Jerry would probably agree with this, is, is Dylan DeSue. Yeah. I, mean, I think that that's a kid that is fl- – and, and the you know, kind of my philosophy on freshmen is if you flash something at that stage, I pay a lot of attention to it. I mean, the ones that do it consistently night in and night out as freshmen, um, they're either doing it in mid-major leagues against lesser competition or or a lot of them at this level are going to the NBA in a year or two. Um, Dylan's not that guy. But I did see... I did see flashes of it in him. You know, another year of confidence, work in the weight room, whatever it is he needs... Uh, I think would do him a world of good. Agreed. That would have been my answer too. So yeah, I to me it's those two guys. I don't know. I'm looking up DJ Harvey as we speak. Okay, his last year at Notre Dame averaged 10.7 points, shot 46 percent from two, 30 percent from three. And shot 33% from three as a freshman. And that was with the old line. Again, don't know what he did in a year off, but um, not a guy that really gave them much else. Had twice as many turnovers as assists. That's never good from a guard. So I'm tempering my expectations on that one. Uh, But again, we don't know what a year of improvement looked like. I don't have expectations for DJ Harvey. I got hope. You know, yeah, but really he's have. got he's got to be a who's a good comp. He's got to at least be a Corey Smith or a Vince Ford. Is upperclassman 
um, you know, guys that are that are rock solid and don't hurt you. Um, well, if they're going to be in the postseason, they need him to be uh, 13, 14, 15 points a night. Um, you know, 43, 44% from two, 37, 38% from three kind of guy. And so far, he's not been that. Yeah, well, I mean, have you heard anything from – any scuttlebutt, you know, from practices and whatnot? Not a lot. I don't take that too seriously anyway because coaches tend to puff up players, A, and B. I don't think that the – you know, look, look at who they were going against in practice last year too, okay? If a guy's lighting it up, I mean, like you said, they had to play walk-ons on the floor last year, two or three at a time, so that tells you what practice looked like too. I think, you know, look, I love Walfine, and they, they, they certainly serve a purpose. I don't know that I've ever even – I don't know that I've ever seen an FCC team playing multiple ones in a conference game at the same time when the outcome was still in doubt. No, I don't you know, think I, I've don't seen think I've anything ever. like what I saw last year when you have three walk-ons. Of, I mean, they did it against Georgia. I remember Georgia, they had a lead at halftime against Georgia. They had two to three walk-ons on the floor for several minutes down the stretch um, of the first half. Um, and I'm just looking around and going, how in the world did they just pull that off? It makes me wonder if we, you know, what, what if, 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 if Stack can get his hands on some, on, on, on some, on some, on some dudes, you know, who knows? Who knows? Yeah, and, so and again, that's thing. that's back to where I think this whole dynamic for them uh, could could really make it interesting if the G League goes and and it starts picking off the top kids. I mean, to me, that opens an opportunity for them uh, that that you look at baseball and what Tim's done with it. If you're smart about it and you work hard. And you play your cards right again. That's it's right in front of you. Look, look at where they've done where that playing field has been leveled. Now that is a special guy. You know, Tim Corbin is maybe the best coach in college in any sport, uh, but it, it shows you what can be done um, if if you get the right guy. Got that right. <laughs> I mean, I love that guy. I wish uh, – well, it doesn't matter. That's another podcast. <laughs> Speaking of podcasts, we go, I, I envision a big, fat bow being put on this one, Christopher. Yeah, I think we need to do that um, because I've got to get back to my kids. My wife works today. By the way, DJ Harvey shot 75% from the foul line his last year at Notre Dame. So that also is is good to know. That That shows that he's got some – to put the ball in the basket to him. Um, so maybe the, maybe those percentages go up. I think he's the wild card to me, the more I think about it, is, I, I, yeah, is what I, kind he, of player he, is he? Yeah, I, the Brown kid is the one. I, 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 just, I mean, I, I have no idea what to expect at all. Well, so I'm they, gonna have to, what I'm gonna do is go with no expectations whatsoever, and if it gets me something, I'm gonna be quick. Well, again, the the word on him was that he was great in practice. I've heard that at places, but with Cleveland Brown going down and Obina being the only post guy they much had left, I, you know, I, I don't know what the competition was like. So that, again, I'm I'm gonna wait till I see it. But he was the thing I say time and time. He was really efficient at Rice. 
and blocked some shots and did some things. So that was a transfer that when they took, a lot of people said, I don't know. But I looked at the numbers and said, well, he, he did a lot of things. He put the ball in the hole pretty efficiently when he got the chance. And I think that was one that was worth taking the risk on. Um, and, and we'll see how that one plays out. They got any transfers on the horizon right now they're in on that you know of? I've heard about the kid from UAB or whatever, but anybody they got a chance to to bring in, we do have a spot or two available, right? Yeah, I've already forgotten. Who was the one they were in on last week that had just come out? Uh, the Purdue kid from Purdue, maybe? Yeah, no, it wasn't Harms. Harms won't end up at Vandy. Harms, I think Kentucky's making a, good, a big play for him. Oh, you're talking about somebody that legitimately could have ended up at Vanderbilt. Well, it was a name that came up, um, and I, I can't think of David Sisk would know. And again, I may do a podcast with him uh, Thursday or Friday. So it's something we'll talk about. I've, I've just, I, I, I know I would know the name if you said it, but I've gone blank. So, hey, one more thing, Chris. I have one more question for you, if, if you don't mind, because I'm trying to remember. And I'm looking at the current roster, and I'm doing it in my head, so I may be missing somebody. But outside of Darius Garland, who was the last in-state player they signed? Wow. Uh, surely there was somebody between Garland and Jenkins. I'm trying to. I promise I'm trying to remember. I can't, I can't seem to think of anybody. Holy cow. That's a good question. I, I don't remember anybody between those. No, I don't either. It's not, it's not coming to me, and and I could be completely forgetting somebody, you know. But I I don't remember. I'm, you know. And, and now, look. Having said that, look like this year, like there's not a lot of big time, big time talent in the state of Tennessee. And you're, I think you can pretty much rule out getting anything out of Memphis these days. Uh, yeah, they they haven't gotten anything from East Tennessee since I couldn't tell you when. Um, Memphis was Byers the last kid they got out of Memphis. He's a train. I mean, do we count? Yeah, we count transfers because they didn't sign him, but they did get him on a transfer. Well, I'm. I mean, I'm. I'm reaching here. I'm looking yeah. for anybody. Okay, yeah, I, 20, I, I, 2016, Cleveland Brown from Texas, Peyton Willis from Arkansas. 2015, uh, Toy from Indiana, Cam Justice from Kentucky. They don't get a lot of kids from Kentucky anymore. Samir Sehach from Texas, Jerry Baptiste from Texas, Yanni Wetzel from New Zealand. Um, so I don't think Wetzel's right. I think I don't think he was in that class. He was a transfer anyway. Uh, go to 2014, which isn't coming up. What 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 about uh uh would 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 carry not is it carry on Johnson was that his name? 
Not carry on. Oh, Johnson. Kedron uh, Johnson. Kedron no, Johnson. but he was before. No, he was after Jenkins. Was, was he before or after? Because I can't remember. He play, played at Marshall County. Yeah, I think. No, he was after. He was after. He was after Jenkins? Yeah. Okay, so it would have had to have been him, I guess. Going back to 13, Cornette and Damian Jones. Wow, was that that long ago? 2012 was Jeter, Astroth, and Kevin Bright. That was a dud of a class. 2011 was Parker, Johnson, Motes. So, yeah, Kedron Johnson was the last one. That was the 2011 class. So, between between John Jenkins and Darius Garland, there was, there's been one in-state player. That's crazy. I did not realize that. I am. I see. I was thinking about, and he played that, four you know, games. Because, and I Hold was on. just thinking about that because you know, look. I mean, I know we're tying this one off, but I just look. And don't get me wrong. Look, all I want is the best possible players. You know that that, that we can get. They don't have to be from Tennessee, but I mean, and it's the same thing with football. I mean. Last year we said, and, and no offense to you, I mean, he'll probably be just fine. May end up being the best player on it, uh, best uh, most consistent player. Uh, we signed a, a long snapper out of the state of Tennessee, and now we're watching other players. I saw. I mean, I really thought they had a great shot at Antoine Roberts. He's headed to Wisconsin. Really thought. Uh, what was the young man? Uh, oh, good great receiver from Brentwood. I just went blank. Walker uh, Merrill. Walker Walker Merrill. Yeah, headed to Tennessee. And we've had a couple linemen from the area go to Duke, and, I, and I'm sitting there looking. I'm like, you know, we don't have, we didn't get anybody but a long snapper last year, and you know, hopefully maybe Owens or something like that will be able to snag a player or two from in-state. But what if we struck out in-state basically two years in a row outside of a long snapper? See that to me to go along with the what one player in the last decade between those two players uh, from the state of Tennessee. It makes and look, I get it. People want to go see the world and all this other stuff. But uh, what I would, I think, would be a fun exercise. I brought that up to say to you, a fun exercise would be to see, take a look at our counterparts, the Dukes, the Northwesterns, and that group, and and look at their rosters. Now, basketball, that's not really going to be that fair because it's Duke, and so you know, and you know, you know how that goes. But I'd like to see their football team. How many of their players come from the state of North Carolina? You know, and same thing for Northwestern. How many players are from Illinois? Stuff like that. And and why are we so unappealing right now to our own kids, especially in the Nashville? Because look, I lo- I love my 901, and there's talent throughout the state, but the largest concentration of talent is in the Middle Tennessee State area, and none of these kids want to go there. Okay, football, you and I know the answer for that is easy. You just go on game day and show up, and it's horrible. Um, And kids in state get bombarded with that, so it's hard. I don't think that uh, Derek put in enough effort on the front end when he got here and built enough relationship with local schools. He did did well in some pockets, Pearl Cone being one, so it's not open and shut. He's done well at BA, so he has found some success somewhere. But I think not building enough relationships and being out there enough locally, um, you know, now that probably starts to compound a little bit. But football, I mean, everybody understands that. Basketball, and this is where 
I'm critical of Jerry, okay? Because Jerry comes in, and you know my reservations about Keon Johnson, right? I've seen the kid play. He was a hothead. He was very immature. Uh, but but he's also 16 or 17 or whatever he was when I saw him play as a junior. And he's got a great relationship with, um, oh, the guy at Ohio State now, the assistant, Jake Diebler. And they had a shot to get Diebler. It may not have mattered because Ohio State came calling, but they had a window with Diebler, and I don't think he handled it well. Uh, I think the first thing he should have done was realized, hey, I need somebody that's familiar with the landscape of Vanderbilt. I think I need somebody that's already hit the ground running and has relationships with kids because I'm starting from ground zero. I don't think Jerry um, knew enough about what he was getting into to realize that and make a pitch at Diebler. But I think if they make a pitch at Diebler, they have a shot at Keon Johnson. I think Keon Johnson under Bryce Drew would have been a disaster because I think he would have walked him all over him the way that um, Simish 2 did because Bryce didn't have enough of a backbone or maybe not one at all. I think Jerry's different. I don't think Jerry would play with that. I think Jerry had a chance to develop him. Keon Johnson's a very talented point guard, and that's one they had within their grasp. I don't think they pursued him at all, and that's an in-state kid, not far down the road. The other one was Randy Brady, and now there's some questions about Brady, and I think he's in Atlanta. But again, when you come in from ground zero with nothing, you've got a relationship there. I don't think they ever made any effort with B.A., and that's one – Randy Brady, I don't think, is any worse than Jordan Wright, for sure. Uh, so that that's one that I think they blew – two they blew in the first year. Um, and, and maybe Brady turns out to be nothing, but he was a top 50 kid at one point, top 25 even. Um, very, I think, as a sophomore or a freshman. That's one you kick the tires on and figure it out later. And I don't think they even – bothered with any of those either of those kids and, and that's the mistake they can't can't make again maybe a year he's lived and learned but um it, it's funny that you bring that up because that's two opportunities they had right there kind of on a tee for him and I don't think he did a thing with them no well, hopefully that will change going forward but like I said like in a case like this year this is not a great year for in-state talent I don't want to pick up somebody just because they happen to play inside the state of Tennessee. I'm not, I'm certainly not saying that, but when we do have those opportunities, I sure would like to cultivate that. I would. No, I no doubt. Care about these the, the excuses, care the excuses for basketball aren't there in football that, you know, other than maybe Kentucky um, and lately Tennessee where their gym gets overrun. But I mean, for the most part, that's not going to happen if they're decent and competitive, even Kentucky's not going to, can outdraw them in their home gym. So the excuse is not there for hoops the way it is for football. Hey, I know you need to go and I need to go, go and tell people where they can find you on Twitter and where they can find your show. Yeah, you can find my show, 101.5 FM, 6 to 8 p.m. Monday through Friday. Still kicking, even though sports isn't. And you can also find me on Twitter at CheapSeatFast. He is Seabass. I'm Chris Lee. Thank you for listening to the Vandy Sports Podcast. We have one, maybe two more episodes coming later in the week, so be sure and listen for those.